everyone and welcome to the Soil CRC Knowledge Sharing Project Extension Series. I'm your host Simon Kruger, Knowledge Sharing Project Grower Group Participant and Project Communications Officer at the West Midlands Group in Western Australia. This is one of four Extension Series companion podcast episodes where I sit down with other participating Grower Group representatives and reflect on some of the key learnings from across the Knowledge Sharing Project. Joining us today, it is my absolute pleasure to be sitting down with Ag Innovation and Research Air Peninsula's Sustainable Agriculture Project Officer, Joshua Telfer. G'day Josh, how's it going? G'day Simon. Yeah, doing well <laughs> mate, doing well. It's a bit warm here today, but um, yep, good, doing well. It's actually a little bit cloudier here today than it has been. We had a bit of a heat wave last week that dried everything off, but at the moment it's uh, it's a little bit cooler, which is quite oh, nice. Oh no, we've, been, we've had a, it's been... Only last week in 13, 14, 15, so yeah, it's a burst of heat into our 30s today. It's a bit of a shock, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, well, we're starting to roll into summer properly now. Look, Josh, you're a familiar face to me. I get to see you every month. Wish it was more, but that's okay. But for people that don't know who you are, can you introduce your role and maybe say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I work with AREP, which is Agricultural Innovation Research Air Peninsula, which is a farming system group which covers all the Air Peninsula, which for the WA audience is part of the SA that's closest to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you've driven the Nullarbor, you would have gone through the towns like Sejuna, Woodner, Kimber, which is the right top northern edge of our farming system area, but it covers the whole triangular peninsula, which is the bit that, again, is closest to you. And mm-hmm. if you include the national parks, it's about the size of Tasmania. So I know you guys do everything bigger in WA, but we're, yeah, yeah. we're definitely not, so. the biggest part of our state too. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge geographical area, really, that you cover. It's it's quite unbelievable. When you told me the first time, I was I was pretty blown away. <laughs> and so, in that area, you know, obviously, whereabouts are you based yourself? So I'm based on the lower part, just out of Port Lincoln, but we've got staff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that work remotely right across the peninsula, and it's quite a diverse climate-wise. I'm north to south, a bit like WA. It dries out as you go further north and gets a bit wetter as you go south. Yeah. But then there's the uplands in the east, which are a bit wetter as well, and a, a few other bits and pieces. But it's predominantly a mixed farm, what we'd call mixed farming. So, yes, it is mostly wheat and sheep, but a lot of uh, barley mm-hmm. and canola and lentils and faba beans in the mix as well, and the occasional bit of lupins as well, and the occasional cow. But for all intents and purposes, it, yes, it is a lot of wheat and sheep, and probably ranges from 150 to 200 right. mil rainfall up to probably five 600 with a lot in that 350 to 450 range. So obviously I know there's a few of you working for AREP, but yourself, how did you participate in the Knowledge Sharing Project? Yeah, so we've got a different set of skills across AREP. My background is in soils and also in family farming. I was in there for a decade, so I stepped out of that to do this role with AREP. And so I work on the, I'm a sustainable ag officer, so I work on more uh, erosion control soils and a little bit around uh, mixed species farming and into the regen space. I've been involved in the knowledge sharing project because as AREP we run a lot of events both internally but also with external parties. We're always working on how to convey and connect with farmers and so as part of the knowledge sharing project we've been uh, working with 
the likes of you guys in Western Midlands and other farming systems groups across Australia to really hone our skills really around engaging with farmers in the, I guess you say, 21st century. Mm. But our farmer these days is getting bits of information from all over. A lot of farmers I work with are watching YouTube videos, they're in WhatsApp groups, they'll listen to podcasts. Mm. And so it's really not a messy space, but farmers are often quite proactive in finding the information that they want to find and so we want to talk into that space and have something to say but also understanding some of the networks mm. that are going on and really hone our skills to optimize that really yeah it really can be a bit of a struggle sometimes to try and you know you've got all these different channels and to try and focus down and get your message in the right spot and to you know formulate it the right way it, yeah it can be quite a struggle so i'm with you it's been being part of the knowledge sharing project has been really great for you know understanding how we can kind of focus our messaging or learn skills from each other about how we can maybe target an audience that we weren't already or get the messaging just right so we can kind of engage on a higher level Yep. There's a fair bit of flexibility to be able to pivot to what farmers are interested in, which has been really kind of cool because I've been able to mm. um, find out what farmers are looking at and going, oh, yeah, I can find a speaker at that. Oh, I can deliver it in a flexible way and just really get that peer-to-peer learning across farmers, which is really important. And I've seen farmers actually take on learnings from one another probably a little bit more quickly than uh, a speaker out from the mm. front saying, I found this once in a research trial. So, yeah. That was definitely a big thing for us, a big pickup for West Midlands Group was the, yeah, the peer-to-peer, it seems to be, you know, one of the biggest tools. It's not like a, someone standing up the front and telling people how to do it, but rather them sharing their, you know, sharing their knowledge between each other and then they can move forward together. And that's where the likes of, you know, local heroes and that kind of, I guess that kind of language comes from where you've got someone that knows maybe one piece of the puzzle and someone that knows the other piece of the puzzle and they're, they're getting together and kind of moving the boat forward. And I think also that extension has always been powerful hearing from a farmer in a nearby region or further away as well because you can sort of relate to that. And that's Mm. challenging at times to get the right person, the right – because there's a lot of expense involved. And I think with some of the newer bits and pieces, and particularly maybe pushed along with COVID, we've been able to really drop farmers in from other areas that people have asked for, even sometimes when they they, Mm. freely admit, I farm in an area that's different to you. But sometimes that's the catalyst for increasing discussion around the table as to what mm. local farmers think of this and really thrash it out, which has really been beneficial to, to see. And sometimes for us as a farming system group, we can take a step back and watch the farmers really take the lead in, in driving their own learning and their adoption of techniques that, that we, we would have pushed otherwise. But I've seen farmers get up and, and give quite a good spill about yeah, something yeah. I've actually been trying to work on. But unprovoked, they've got up and really been the real evangelists, they've for want of a better word, of the, of the tips. Yeah, which is, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay, and so obviously we're talking about our learnings and stuff from the mm-hmm. from the project itself. One of my biggest takeaways was probably how important a reflective process is or, you know, reflection yep. portion of, of the work we do in the KSP. So my idea now is to maybe have a, a reflection on an engagement approach that you got to trial while you were working with the knowledge sharing project. So can you tell us a bit more about the Regenerative Agriculture Monitoring Project and maybe about how narratives about soil and land management might be changing in your area? Things ebb and flow, but I think a lot of the things around mixed species and stuff, and, and people, mixed species are a funny one where you've got different sort of species mixed doing different jobs and sometimes the same species are doing different things in different environments and... 
farmers are reading, learning and doing sometimes way ahead of what we're asking them to do. So it's been really cool. We've got quite a lot of growing a lentil industry in this region and lentils leave the land really bare afterwards. So I've had a couple of farmers really take on board the challenges that that presents and go, oh, I really want to drive my cover crops and stuff afterwards. And that totally fits what my project's working on, but it wasn't driven by me. It was driven by the farmers wanted to keep growing lentils, but seeing the, the problems that it, it creates and going, well, how do I then fix this? And then using some of the tools in the toolbox in my project and going, well, I'm going to try and use this tool to fix this problem. So that's really been quite cool. And other farmers have, are really taken some of these approaches and going, well, I've got some rocky, steep land that I'm not getting much production. I'm using some of these tools to see if I can dry my dry matter and grow my forage value in this. And they've really taken up. And, and it's been really interesting to see even though not every participant has great success, but I've had some great success with some participants mm. and it's that willing to risk it, not risk it for a biscuit, but sort of being not guaranteeing success when you start, but going, well, we're going to try this and, and if we get some answers that then we can apply it on a big area, that's a win. And so I really think with that participation with farmers, you've got to allow people to try things at a smaller scale so you can be confident when you're doing a bigger scale. But also, if it's not going to work, you want to find out early enough too. Understanding that sustainability is, is that two, three, in my mind, two, three-year cycle rather than going, does it stack mm. up economically in this one year? Because you can make all sorts mm. of things stack up in the one year, but there is a cost, particularly around erosion and stuff, if you do things badly. So it's trying to invest in mm. the, your future farming capital in a way. No one can see out 10, 20 years' time. No one knows the future, but we have a pretty good idea what the issue is going to be in four, five, six years' time. We're still going to be dealing with mm. droughts and wet periods and up and down commodity prices. And so if we can invest in our, in our soils and make them a little bit more productive and a little bit more resilient mm. to, particularly in our area, we had a lot of issues with wind erosion, so the droughts probably five years ago. And so... Some of these systems I've been working on and seeing farmers work on gives their they can grow more. Once in the in their livestock industries, they can eat more, but then they can still have more of the pie left over mm. afterwards, which is really important for mm. for uh, conservation of their soil and, and farming systems into the longer term. Well, I mean, Nathan would have loved that last sentence in general because I mean, one <laughs> of the things that we work on at WMG is the motto of "grow more, eat more, leave more." That's oh, our definitely. like the three slogans of part of our work with pasture and semi-regenerative kind of stuff so nathan would have been all over the well <laughs> the last, one farmer we got with his squad eat a third leave a third trample a third because he he likes to go well, mm. we'll just grow grow a bigger pie trample a bit into the soil and have a bit standing as well and I, i've seen that yeah, definitely of course. You, you can get some systems where they're pretty low input but they're hardly generating any cover at all and so you get issues with runoff or wind erosion and going well what do we have to do mm. And also a bit of a discussion around sometimes you want things that are not quite as palatable. In a feeding world, you're like, I want the highest quality feed you can get. But that stuff doesn't last mm. either. So when you want it to last over summer, well, we need a component that's a bit more um, resistant to being a bit hardier. Eaten. Yeah, mm. and a bit more lignified. And, and so we farmers have, have come to me and go, oh, I want to mix in with some triticale or some rye or not high mm. amounts, just enough to sort of hang around and go, well, there's value in that. And then how do you manage that? And so quite often I've just tried to join the dots of farmers or, or just encourage them and go, well, a lot of my job I've found as well is just encourage farmers to measure stuff. I'm like, well, if you put species in, measure the cover on it. 
do some biomass cuts. And part of my project is just giving farmers an excuse to measure stuff. Small budgets in a small grant project in the, the scheme of farming systems of multi-million dollar enterprise at times, it's not big bickies. But if mm. I can go, well, part of my project, I want you to measure stuff. I want you to do some feed tests or some soil tests and get some actual numbers behind it. It's amazing how much that little bit of investment can empower farmers to go, well, I've made the right decision and I can show you that I've made yeah. the right decision. Mind you, sometimes the right, there's more than one right decision too. So the right decisions for them and that they can justify what they're doing and go, well, I've grown more. Like you said, I've grown more and I've grown more at some critical mm. times too. It's not just I've just grown a pie. I've grown the pie where I need it to be bigger. Mm. Whether that's early in the a season, gap that wouldn't necessarily yep. be in field. Particularly, mm. you have both feed gaps, but you also have cover gaps, and they are mm. often similar, but they're often a little bit different too. So, people have invested in species where they can get more cover and growth early, and then more cover and growth in the back end of the season as well. And there's definitely value in stretching that growth season further north. We've got a lot of farmers that their traditional pasture would have been medic, which is predominant in calcareous soils. And they'll grass free it and they'll clean it up. And yes, they can get amazing spring production with it, but it takes ages to get cover. And then once it's grown, it's got mm. a lot of protein in it and it breaks down really quickly. And so it's now got resistant part of grass. So they treat mm-hmm. it really carefully and they get great feed and it fixes a lot to nitrogen, but it's causing these unintended consequences. And I think a lot in farming, we're always fixing one problem and then generating another problem. And I think... In some of the work I've done, it's going, well, in our current farming systems, what problems are we fixing and what problems are we generating? How did the knowledge sharing project fit into the work that you were doing in that space? As part of the project, Marie Jean Ag Project I've got, we were running prescribed number of workshops, prescribed number of forums, prescribed number of farmer led days. And so that was already happening. Mm. But stepping into the knowledge sharing program really enabled me to think strategically about not just running events but running farmer activities that they wanted but also how tailoring in such a way to really heighten that peer-to-peer learning and also to Mm. bring in voices that maybe challenge farmers a little bit not threatening because we don't want to threaten farmers for what they're doing but lift the bar of what's possible and farmers are a diverse group of people anyway but i've certainly seen farmers really take the challenging on and use information that they've seen in their own context and Mm. really foster that spirit too of of sharing too because increasingly farmers i think don't share with their neighbors as much because as farming systems have become our farming's become probably a bit more commercial and a bit more could use a better word but cutthroat farmers are sometimes Mm. reluctant to share with neighbors as much but in this context there's a lot more willingness to share share learnings because it's not cut and dry what you need to do but also Mm. sharing over bigger areas and going to because is it's that not because everyone's... the end product isn't necessarily profit margin? You know, it's not about necessarily about yield or necessarily about dollar figure or return on investment, rather an improvement in time or yep. in environmental or, you know, those kind of ESG goals. And also not everyone's going to be passionate enough about this to follow it through. And mm. what I've learned with working with farmers is not everyone can be passionate about everything. And you might get, and you'll see this, some farmers are passionate about their sheep or they might be passionate about sheep fertility or they might be passionate about sheep wool mm. or some, and they'll gravitate to people who are equally passionate. But someone else might be passionate about growing pulses or precision egg type stuff or like, and everything takes a headspace. Mm. So you can't be passionate and be an expert on everything. 
And so in this space, a lot of farmers, their neighbours aren't as passionate about it as them or they might think that they're crazy mm. or a bit loony or a bit alternative. And these farmers are not, but also it's something they're really keen to change the narrative in their uh, farming system, both the regional farming system, but also their enterprise. And so mm. and they're wanting information and they're also willing to share it. So we've in our local area, we've had a, a WhatsApp group start up and they've really been keen to share learnings about some of this space as well. And this has not been driven by us. We've supported it. Mm. And when they've come for us for ideas and support, we've been able to support. And conversely, when we've run events, we've been able to tap some of the expertise and go, oh, who is it you'd really like to learn from or hear from? Or who else should we get in the room mm. to talk about stuff? And I've really appreciated that. I've run some events where I had both a soil microbiologist and an etymologist going back to back, quite contrasting. Mm material but the feedback we got was oh these work great because they're able to pick up and contrast and rather than and this was def driven by farmers and and hearing a bit more what they wanted to do and there is a mm. time and a place for yes we need to communicate and extend to farmers this particular message because it's critical whether it's a market access issue or animal welfare or something like that. but i think sometimes we also need to hear from farmers they might not know exactly what they want to know, but they go, I want to hear from this person about this. I want to hear a little bit more about how these issues interact, which has mm. been good. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a path that you haven't necessarily considered at the time, but allowing them to feel comfortable approaching you and, and having a conversation about who they'd like to see in the room can have some pretty beneficial results. And I think in a world where people are listening to podcasts from all over the world and they might have a global expert on issue, but they're reluctant mm. to go... I want to take this global expertise and deliver it local. They need a also intermediate expert or expertise and going, yes, well, this person in, in Europe or America is talking about this, but this is what it might mean in our local area and this is the things you need to consider. Not, in our context, not dismissing yeah. it, but not, also not just rubber stamping it either. Is it giving them the confidence to feel like it's okay to try and find someone in a local context that's thinking in that same yep. kind of perspective as maybe what they've heard on that global context? Yeah. Like I said, I certainly work in a, in a space here where farmers are telling me the podcasts that they're listening to and the experts they're listening to, and some of it is dead on the money, and others you're like, that's a very interesting approach. Mm. I think you should be careful applying that. <laughs> not saying just be careful. Well, that's a very interesting idea. Mm-mm. Flesh that out or... Yes, maybe they were talking about an irrigated agriculture. Maybe it's different in your 150 mil, 200 mil rainfall environment. And I'm not saying there's not truth in it, but as much as I say it's not just about a year in, year out economic decision, if things fail economically, they can have a, as farmers know, how long tail to recover as well. So you want to respect mm, farmers, mm. but also give them a, a technical sounding board as well, going this theoretically stacks up, but you want to, find a way to try it and not put yourselves at risk as well. Now, it's been really amazing to see the extent in which we've continued evolving the way we engage with our farmer members during the knowledge sharing project. And in particular, for myself, it's been awesome seeing the growth in capacity amongst those of us who are involved in the knowledge sharing project. I mean, I've learnt an incredible amount and working with people like yourself and the other grower group representatives and the researchers is just an immeasurable impact on, on, <laughs> on my ability to do my job better and, and to feel more confident engaging with, with oh. farmers and our farmer community. Credit to you guys, Simon, because <laughs> I've really appreciated hearing from you guys and it's felt like, well, the, the phrase brother from another mother comes to mind because it's like we as a farm <laughs> system group here can look over across another world and go, oh, yeah. 
they're dealing with a lot of the same issues and going, how are they doing it? Mm. What are they doing? And it's like the same mm. issues you're dealing with. Sometimes a very savvy group of farmers and they've got their head in the mm. Like I said, there's lots of things, not rabbit holes you can go in farming, but things you can get passionate about. And it's great. Mm. A career, any career should be able to have passions you can follow. And I think farming definitely has got a bright future in that regard. But also just hearing from you guys about the issues that come up and how you're dealing with it and the scale you're working and the farmers and getting that feedback of what, what worked well and how do you connect to this group that are increasingly, like I said, educated, will go and look for information themselves and build their own networks of knowledge. So in wrapping up today, Josh, what are your top three tips or maybe things to consider for the research community when engaging with next users? And in our case, I guess that's farmers. Mm, yeah, and I might have covered some of these already, but I think context is king. And, and while the economic decisions about whether you should do this or that are, are important, it's also multiple ways to get there sometimes. And I'm saying diversity is a mm. spice of life, but there's, there's multiple ways for economics can stack up with farmers and just understand that while you've thought about one particular pathway, there's other ways there too. And like I mm. said, farmers have, have passions to do things differently and and to try things and just understand there's quite a diversity. And then if you can tap into that, farmers will, will be all fully on board. And there's mm. in extension and adoption stuff, there's there's always lots of headwinds out there and farm and researchers can't always understand all the, the headwinds and hurdles and side issues that farmers mm. and farm business have to face. And it takes time to understand technologies and sometimes they're economic, sometimes they're a side economic issue. It could be a utilisation or a marketing issue and it's just sometimes a weed management issue and sometimes you've those have got to be fixed before you can take up the, the adoption of the research get to that yep just understanding farmer communication networks are getting more and more diverse mm. like i said the mm. people i work with are watching youtube videos podcasts and they're in whatsapp groups of like-minded farmers and they and they talk and they pick up information from all over the place and sometimes, mm. yes, it doesn't have all the local context that we would like, but they can be thinking in that area. And you need to appreciate some of the other voices that they're hearing from. I'm not going to say voices in the head because it sounds mm. weird, but there are. And if people can connect with what you're saying with something they've heard somewhere else, they're a lot more willing to listen and not be quite so suspicious because people mm. like to hear the same, particularly farmers, the same not exactly the same message, but connections from one issue to the next. To the so next. reaffirmation that, almost kind of thing of, of their mm. thought process. Yeah, yeah. People do the same thing sometimes for different reasons. And while superficially mm. they might look like the same reason, it, it can be different. Whether it's a great tip for researchers or just, in, just farm extension and us, Simon, mm. just trying to understand why they do it is a, probably a lifelong process, but... I'm quite sure what I was going to Why people make certain decisions. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's just just listen and talk to them about why you did stuff. It's really important because mm. I've learned stuff from farmers going on their place. One thing comes to mind, I was working with a farmer, like I said, who grows lentils and he'll he's really switched on about growing cover crops and he understands if there's mm. no rain coming, he'll just spray it out. And then there's other farmers that, They'll just plant a cover crop because it feels good, and that's that's mm. that's why they do it. And so they might look like the same farmer doing the same thing, but they're doing it for quite different reasons. Some farmers are able to articulate why exactly they're doing stuff. Some are mm. might have multiple reasons, and they can't articulate it quite as well 
but it still might make the system work. And some, some farmers want mm. all the answers and they can tell you why they do. Others, if you talk to them long enough, they'll probably come up with three or four reasons why they're doing it. Um, so it's just listening. It's a good quality for all humans, I think. Yeah. Okay, so Josh, thank you so much for jumping in and having a chat with me today and obviously for your continued openness, your insights, your knowledge and your continuous support of myself and of the Knowledge Sharing Project. It's been an absolute pleasure working alongside you and I'm looking forward to working with you more and more in the future with other soil CRC projects. So thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks, Simon, man. I appreciate your time and your patience with me and I... As much as there's wisdom in the east sometimes, as we are always waiting for you guys to wake up in the west so we can pick your brains too.